tomorrow, the 22nd of March, is a bit of an anniversary for Elizabeth and I and the kids. And I don't know whether uh, you kind of, you're like this, you have just certain things that happen in life and you mark them in a calendar and as the year goes by, you, you see this date come up and it takes your mind back to uh, what happened on that day. Obviously, uh, birthdays, wedding anniversaries, things like that. Tomorrow is a bit of a, a strange one for us, the 22nd of March, 2017, uh, a normal day. Um, I'd been called down to London to do a little bit of uh, work. We were there. We were just going to extend our time there as a bit of a, a holiday. So I brought Elizabeth and the kids down with us. We got a premier in. We always go premier in. Moon and Stars Hotel, £29. A little deal at the end of Westminster Bridge. Lovely kind of view looking out across the river. Um, I stayed in the hotel. I was doing some, um, just getting some preparation done for um, a presentation I was doing in the evening. Elizabeth and the kids went out. Uh, they were off to see um, the horses, horse guards parade, and they're kind of trotting along. Off they go, walking into the city. Um, unbeknownst to them, at just about 500 metres behind where they were, they'd walk past Parliament on their way to see uh, Buckingham Palace. Uh, just literally metres behind them. A man called Khalil Massoud drove his car into a group of pedestrians on the beach. They got out of his car and proceeded to uh, murder a police officer. Now the kids and Elizabeth were away down the road. They didn't have a clue what was going on. They were just looking for the horses, looking for uh, getting to Buckingham Palace. And, and on they went. And I was sitting in the hotel right at the end of the bridge. And I could hear the helicopters going and the sirens going. And I knew something was going. I looked on Twitter and could see exactly what was unfolding. Elizabeth and the kids were just carrying on. Now, if they just zoomed out of this scenario and kind of had a bit of a bird's eye view, they would have had a totally different perspective of what was going on. But as far as they were concerned, everything was okay. And they carried on with their day. It was about 11 o'clock in the evening before we managed to get connected again and we reflected back on the day of what could have been. You see, perspective is so important, isn't it? Like in, in their mind, all's the, all's the matters really is, is the next few steps, getting to the horses, getting to Buckingham Palace to see the guards. But actually, when you zoom out and see the bigger picture, we can often have a totally different perspective. And actually, the world that we live in, like in so many ways, it moves us towards and encourages us to, to just see what's in front of us. Not to zoom out, not to see the big, not to see the big picture, but just to, just to see what's going, going on right in front of our laps. So if you go into Waterstones or um, another one, uh, Blackwells, like any bookshop, they're, they're rare now, aren't they? We're all Amazon. But if you walked into a bookshop and you went to the self-help bookshelf and you took off one of those books, this is what they would tell you. If you want to bring about change in your life, if you want to find, I don't know, if you want to find peace in your life, start with the small and move to the big. So start with, with the way that you breathe. Like, literally go that small. Start with your breathing. And then move on to maybe what you eat. And then think about your exercise. Like, start with the small and move to the big. You see, the Bible doesn't talk like that at all. What you see in the Bible is actually the opposite. What you see in the Bible, what we saw last week as Andy finished off chapter 3 to us, is this. Start with the big and allow that to affect the small. Let me read this again to you, just the last few verses of chapter 3. Paul said this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord 
Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Which is what Paul is saying. Start with the big and move to the small. If you want to make sense of the world that we live in, if you want to make sense of the life that we have, don't start with the small. He says, think about your citizenship and think about it being in heaven. Like he takes it to the cosmic. And he talked about, you know, just, just wait for the resurrection. Wait for this glorious day when your bodies will be transformed. Don't start with the small folks. Think cosmic. Think big. And then allow that big reality to affect your everyday. Allow the fact that you are citizens of heaven. Allow the fact that you are eternal beings. Allow the fact, Christian, that you are heading towards a sure and certain bodily resurrection. Allow all of these big things to affect your small, everyday reality. Now, the passage we're going to read in a minute has got some of those verses which we all know and we all love. But they make no sense at all unless we see them in view of that reality. Unless we see them in, in view of, of this cosmic uh, kind of narrative that Paul is building here. You are citizens of heaven. You are waiting for a resurrection. Think about the big picture and allow that big picture to affect your present reality. And so have that in mind. And then let's pick up where he starts. And that is why he starts chapter 4 with, therefore. Think about the big reality. Think about the cosmic reality. And then he says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Sintiki. And let's just kind of agree in this room. That's what they're called and that's how they're pronounced, okay? Euodia and Sintiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We love those verses, don't we? Some of us will know those verses off by heart, but remember the context. Remember the big picture that Paul has been leading us towards. You are citizens in heaven. Think about what he's saying in light of that, and also think about the context that he is in. Where's Paul? He's not on a beach, guys. He's not sipping cocktails. He's in prison, chained to a Roman guard. Like, his life is not easy. And think about the Philippians. Like, like it's not easy for them. They are, they are foreigners. They are aliens. He told, told them that they are going to shine as the stars because they look so different. And a bit of history for you. At the time when Paul is writing this, or maybe a couple of years after he writes it, there's someone who's going to come onto the scene in, in uh, a Philippian society that is going to change everything. Nero. You've heard of Nero? Yeah? 
folks, we think we've got bad leaders. Like we look at Boris Johnson, we look at Donald Trump and we think these are dodgy characters. Nero was in a different league. Like he was a difficult person to live under. And not even just if you were just a, a Christian, like he hated Christians. But every citizen in Rome had a sense of anxiety and, and fear because this guy was just off the chart in terms of how he ruled. He was oppressive. He was violent. He was unstable. It was a volatile time to live. In terms of society, it was fragile. In terms of the politics, it was fragile. In terms of the economy, it was fragile. And, and that was thousands of years ago. But can anyone relate to that? Social fragility, political, economic fragility. Does that sound familiar? It should do because that's how we live now. And it's actually just been the story forever. We live in a world which is prone towards anxiety because it is fragile, because it is broken. And because that is true, and let me just let us in, it's not going to get any better. Because that is true, we all need something to hold on to. We need something to fix our lives onto because the ground beneath us is fragile. The world that we live in, the culture that we live in is fragile. So we need to hold on to something. So let me me ask you a question as we start. What is it? What is that fixed point that you are holding on to? What are you tethered to? What is the solid ground that you are standing on? In a fragile world, in an anxious culture, what is keeping you stable? Listen to what Paul says in verse 1. Stand fair. And then what does he say? In the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Philippians, in in the midst of a volatile and unstable society, stand firm in the Lord. Liberty Church, in the midst of a volatile and unstable society, stand firm in the Lord. If we want peace, folks, in the midst of an anxious culture, Paul says, the only place you will find it is if you stand firm in the Lord. And he doesn't say, stand firm and everything will be okay. Or stand firm and your circumstances will change. Or stand firm and we'll fix it together. No, he says, stand firm in the Lord. He's talking about Jesus. Stand firm in Jesus. We can only do that when we're united to him. If you're a Christian, you are. You are united to Christ. and So you can't stand firm in him. He is the only stable one. He is the only sure one. He is the only one who is secure. So Paul says, go there. Stand there. Go to where stability is found and do not move from there. And Paul knows. He knows that that is sound wisdom. Paul knows that, that if we want change, if we want peace, it is not found in our circumstances changing. Again, remember where he is. He's in prison. Yet he has peace and he has joy. Stand firm in the Lord. See, Jesus changes everything. But it's not about changing our circumstances. And Paul desperately wants the Philippians to know this. And and I want us to know it as well this morning. Paul really wants them to know that if they want peace in an anxious world, they need to stand firm in Jesus. Like, look at at how he he, um, calls out to them in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love, I long for, my joy, my crown, my beloved. Like, do you hear the affection of Paul? 
Like some of us a few weeks ago will have sent or received Valentine's cards. And when you, a bit of advice if you haven't sent one, or maybe if you get a cold reaction when you send one, a bit of advice, don't write a Valentine's card like this. Um, to Elizabeth from Neil. That's just not gonna work. This is how I write Valentine's cards. This is a window into our marriage here. You're allowed it just for a few seconds. To my beluga bear, yeah? I love you. More than anything else, I love you. I just wanna tell you just how much, how much I, 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 I adore you and, and all the wonderful things you do for me. And there's maybe some other things which just we can't, we can't even talk about in here, but there's, but there's just affection and love being poured out. And I don't just sign up from Neil at the end. It's like, I love you always with all of my love, your darling Neil. That's because I love her. I'm devoted to it. Paul loves the Philippians, doesn't he? Like, this isn't the first time we've heard his affection. I love you, my brothers and sisters, my joy, my crown, my beloved. His love is poured out to them. And let me tell you this. He loves the Philippians. I love you. But the love that Paul has for the Philippians, the love that I have for Liberty Church, is nowhere near the love that God has for you. Hear this this morning. God loves you. God loves you infinitely more than anyone else in your life. He loves you. And because he loves you more than anything, he wants you to have peace in your life. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. Some of us will, will just know this, just even by living. The fragility that we feel, the, the angst that we feel in just living, just gives us a hint that, that we are made for something greater. That the peace in this life is not enough. That we need peace after this life. Elizabeth went to a funeral this week of the mother of one of our friends. She was 61. That's young, guys. Life is fragile. Like, like some of us are feeling this a little bit more than others. I know some of you will connect with this. Like some of us, when we wake up in the morning, it's painful. Like I was in the shower a few weeks ago, and I, I was just washing my hair, and I couldn't move my neck for a week. Like, like, like that, is, that is just the reality of just the fragile, and some of you might laugh, but at least I had hair to wash. <laughs> that is just the fragility of life, losing hair and hitting your neck when you wash your hair, and death just shows us that actually we are made for something more. There's got to be something better, folks. You need to believe that every day that you're on this earth doesn't, doesn't mean that you're getting a day closer and living the perfect life here. No, no, no. We are made for something better. We are made for something greater. And I don't even need to convince you that you know that to be true. And listen, all of us who are over at the age of 18 are filling in a census at the moment, right? Do it. It's illegal, apparently, if you don't do it. So make sure you do it. And I can tell you some of the results already. It will show uh, a decline in Christianity. Like, that's just no surprise. But, but here's the interesting thing. Statistically, and, and we love statistics because sometimes uh, they're right. Statistically, and from research, uh, we found that actually, whether you're a Christian or whether you're an atheist, it doesn't matter where you are on the scale. If you are presented with death, the likelihood is you are starting to think that there is something more than this. When presented with the reality of death, you cannot help but think there's got to be something more. 
Folks, this life is not all that there is. When this life ends, that is not the end. And because that is true, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, if you are united to Christ, there is an eternity that is infinitely greater, infinitely brighter, brighter, infinitely better than the life that we live now. And Paul says, live in light of that. Live in light of the big things. You are citizens of heaven. You're waiting for a bodily resurrection. And don't just sit and wait for that to come. Drag the supreme, drag the cosmic into your present reality and let it affect your here and now. So when we get to verse 2 of those two funky names, Euodia and Syntyche, you might be tempted to think Paul's kind of moving on to something else, but he's not. Paul is saying, let's apply the eternal reality to the present struggles. And he gives us an example here of Yodia and Syntyche. These were two ladies in the Philippian church. And let me just be clear. These were gospel sisters. Look at what he says in the second half of verse 3. He says, um, they have labored side by side with me in the gospel. And along with Clement and the others, their names are in the book of life. Like these are not false teachers. We know how Paul talks about, talks about false teachers. They're not wolves. These are gospel sisters who work alongside Paul and others side by side. But there is disagreement. It seems there's a disagreement probably about an open-handed issue. So we know there's kind of closed-handed issues and open-handed issues in the church. So closed-handed issues are things that we just don't budge. So so Jesus uh, is the eternal son of God. We don't budge on that. That's a closed-handed issue. Jesus was born of a virgin. That's a Closed-handed issue. Jesus is the only way to salvation. That is a closed-handed issue. There are closed-handed issues that we hold on to. Steak and chips is the righteous meal for those who are in Christ. Amen? That that is a closed-handed issue. We don't budge on that. But then there are open-handed issues. Whether you have your steak well done or medium or rare, that's an open-handed issue. You can do what you want. We're in the church. There are open-handed issues as well. What you dress when you come in here this morning, clearly, looking at you guys, that is an open-handed issue. <laughs> what we choose to see, open-handed issues. And it seems that Euodia and Syntyche are arguing, disagreeing over an open-handed issue. And it's not like Paul says, well, it doesn't matter, just forget about it, just move on. You see, he asks for help. He says, he calls uh, for the help of a true companion, that could be Luke, or if you look at your footnotes... If you've got the ESV, it could be, uh, there's a word there, Syzygos, that could be another guy that he's asking to come and, uh, and help in the situation. But really what Paul is doing here, if we look at it in the context, he's, he's trying to help these ladies see your perspective is wrong. Like we will disagree sometimes. But ladies, remember, you are citizens of heaven. You are heading for a glorious resurrection. Ladies, your names are written in the book of life. That that is incredible. Like, allow that supreme reality that that God has your name down and it will not be removed. You are going to be with him for all of eternity. Allow that reality to affect your presence. Disagreements will be inevitable. Paul is saying, ladies, don't forget who you are. Don't forget where you're heading. And let me just ask us here. Like, do you ever think that you could be a Euodia or Syntyche? Do you think you could be those who bring about disagreement and disunity? 
The answer is yes. If they could be prone towards it, then we could. They're gospel sisters. They get the gospel. And so we need to remember folks, to bring the eternal, to, to think about the eternal cosmic supreme truths and drag them into our present reality and live and walk in light of them. So let me ask you this. Where there is tension in relationships that you are engaged in now. Think of the eternal supreme realities and drag them, drag them into the present and live in light of them. Do you know what Euodia and Syntyche aren't talking about now? This disagreement. Like a million years from now, these things won't matter. So where there is discord, where there is disunity, where there is tension in your relationships, can I encourage you to set your mind onto eternal things and live in light of those. An eternal perspective will transform present reality it will you need to think with an eternal perspective folks but an eternal perspective is not enough an eternal perspective without Jesus is definitely not enough Paul is trying to bring us to a place of yes having an eternal perspective but having Jesus in view having an eternal perspective with Jesus in view Because the reality is an eternity without Jesus is an eternity that you do not want. If you want to know more about what this book of life is that that Paul talks about, go to Revelation chapter 3 and 5 and 21. And in Revelation 21 you see this. There are those whose names will not be in the book of life. And for those people, that marks an eternity without Jesus. Now hear me, where Jesus is, is a place where there is peace, where there is joy, where there is love eternal. That is the only place where we can find those things, folks. And so if you're not there, you have not got those things. And do any of us this morning want an eternity without those things? We want to be found in that book, folks. And the only way we can is when we are in Christ. Have an eternal perspective. But not just just thinking about eternal things. That is all written on our heart. But that is enough. Have an eternal perspective with Jesus in view. I want to really kind of push us if we're Christians here this morning. Like we love the idea of escaping this world, don't we? But do we love it because we're going to be with Jesus? Or because we're going to be away from all of this? Like I think our kids get this probably more than we do sometimes. Like our kids have just experienced death in the family and with friends quite closely this year. And I talked to Micah, he's six years old. And you know what he's looking forward to? Bouncy balls, there we go. There might be a few of them, mate. But do you know what he's looking for, forward to more than bouncy balls in heaven? Being with Jesus. Jesus is gonna be there, daddy. That's what we talk about when we talk about eternity. Jesus is going to be there. And that makes all of the difference. We need an eternal perspective, folks. But with Jesus in view. And that will transform our present reality. Here's one way that it does. Look down at verse 4. We're getting to the big one, guys. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Just kind of step back into the context for a minute again, guys. Paul is chained to a Roman guard. He has this great ambition to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and he's chained to a Roman guard. And yet he says, rejoice. Always, guys, rejoice. 
See, our joy is not related to our circumstances. What does he say? Rejoice in the Lord. George Muller, who's one of my favourite dead men to quote, says this. The first and greatest and primary business of every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. That is ambition at the start of the day. I just need to, I need to kind of muster up, the, up that joy, walk in the joy of the Lord again. And why does he say that? Why does he have to do that every day? Because the reality is we lose it. Like we struggle to see it sometimes. We struggle to walk in it. And the reality is that the joy isn't something that, that just disappears. We are given it. It's not happiness that, that, that is affected by our circumstances. We have the joy of the Lord, but so often we fail to walk in it. And Muller says, every morning I have to just remember that I have it and I need to walk it. And so I want to kind of ask us this question. Christian, what is feeding your joy? When you wake in the morning, what is it that you're going to to kind of muster up that joy again, to help you fix your eyes and walk in the joy that you have been given? What is it? Because I can tell you now, if your first thing in the morning is to turn to Instagram or to turn to Twitter or to turn to Facebook, you are not feeding your joy. That is not going to help you walk in the joy of the Lord through the day. Here's something that I found really helpful and so simple. The first thing that I try and think about and do in the morning is this. I just pray a simple prayer. Father, fill me with your spirit. Father, fill me with your spirit. And let me, clear, let me be clear, that's not because I believe that you can lose the Holy Spirit or I need kind of a, a second infilling of the Holy Spirit. But the reality is we live in a world and we, we, we have a flesh and the devil is working against us. And through the day, we find ourselves just out of sync with who we are. And so I just say, just, just fill me with your spirit, Lord. Just remind me of who I am. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We are reminded of who we are. We are able to see God more clearly than than maybe when we come to the end of the day and we've been walking through all sorts of distractions. Folks, there's no coincidence that the people that we know in our lives who are, who are most obviously walking in the joy of the Lord are those who have the closest communion with Jesus. We cannot expect to be people who walk in joy and, and keep this closed or not come on our knees in prayer or not, not incline our thoughts towards Jesus. That's just foolishness. Start your day with fixing your eyes on him. Asking him to fill you with his spirit. As we do, as we are people who are walking in the joy of the Lord, it is inevitable that those around us will see it. Verse 5, Paul says this, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That, that word reasonableness there is, is translated one of a couple of ways. It, it could be gentle forbearance, or I like this one even better. Uncommon evenness of temper. As we rejoice in the Lord, it is inevitable that those around us will see it and it will look like uncommon evenness of temper. Let me kind of just shrink that down even more. It will look radical. It will look different. It will look counter-cultural. We've heard this so often through Philippians, haven't we? Like this church, were counter-cultural. They looked different. I've been doing a lot of reading about the early church recently and, and it's just fascinating to see that they are going through similar struggles that we are, a global, well, a, a pandemic around about them, uh, political struggles, economic struggles, systemic injustice. 
the church looked different. They were people who were marked with joy. They were people who had a, a patient peace and it stood out amongst the society. And, and what was it that kind of really caused the, 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 the Christian faith to explode across the Roman Empire? Constantine had something to do with it. And of course it was the saving work of, of the Spirit through the power of the Gospel. But you know what really drew, drew unbelievers towards the church? It was the joy, the peace, the love that these folks had. It looked so different. It was countercultural. It was radical. It was like an uncommon evenness of temper. Folks, in a world of fragility, those who are marked with joy and peace will stand out. We will. In an anxious culture, those who are marked by joy and peace will stand out. And can I just encourage us, don't be embarrassed about that. You know, when everything has fallen away from around us, when the world is going, going that way, and you're, just, you're standing there and you have this strange peace, don't be embarrassed about that. Don't be ashamed of that. Paul says, people will see it. You will stand out. And that's good. What did he say back in chapter 2? That we will shine like stars in a wicked and crooked generation. That is what God wants for us. To have an unnatural peace. To have a strange joy. And for people to be drawn towards him as they see it. Now I hear that. I hear the call to be someone who rejoices in the Lord always. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that. I want more of that in my life. How does it come about? How do we be people who do that? How do we be people who rejoice and again rejoice? Look at verse 6. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Philippians had lots of reasons to be anxious. Nero was coming if he wasn't there already. Like they would just look very different in the society that they lived in. They felt the pressure of people around them trying to conform them into certain ways. There were false teachers around them. They had lots of reasons to be anxious. And let's be real, we do. We have loads of things around us that, that are unsteady, that are uncertain. We have plenty of reasons to feel anxious. But Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Like I've heard this preached, where sometimes the preacher will say, what he really means by anything is, is sometimes you will go there and inevitably, he doesn't actually mean don't be anxious about anything. Like that's, that's impossible. No, no, no. Paul said, do not be anxious about anything. I think that's probably what he meant. And he says, when you are in that place, this is what will happen. Verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want that. I want to rejoice in the Lord. I want the peace of God to be about me. And this peace, he says, is beyond human understanding. You can't even kind of, it's, it's almost illogical. It's that, it's that incredible. How do we get Three quick things. Firstly, in verse 7, if we want this peace, if we want the joy that he talks about, it will only come in Christ Jesus. See at the end of verse 7? God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love that picture of God guarding your hearts and minds. It's, it's like if you just imagine God kind of placing these soldiers or an army around your heart, around your mind, which are so prone to instability, which are so prone to anxiety, and God is kind of locking them in 
He's guarding you from it. And again, if we go to the world and we want to find peace, they'll say, okay, do these exercises or change your diet or, 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 or try this kind of breathing ritual. Folks, they are just temporary fixes. If we really want peace, we find it in Christ Jesus. And if you are not in Christ Jesus, you need to be. The second thing, we find it in Christ Jesus. The second thing, we find it from Christ Jesus. The second half of verse 5. It says, the Lord is at hand. We kind of jump over that verse sometimes. That is incredible. The Lord, Jesus, is at hand. I'm one of four kids. And um, where we uh, lived in Birkenhead, there was a... Um, quite a, a kind of big house, uh, dark rooms, and because I was the youngest, I was always the first one to be sent to bed. Friday night, we'd have film, and we'd be sitting on the couch, and I'd have to walk up these kind of creaky stairs on my own to my big bedroom on my own. And so, what did I do? Anyone relate? Please tell me. No, I kind of sang and whistled up the stairs. Anyone else do that? Please say it wasn't just me. When it's, when it's dark and you're scared, and no, oh, this isn't just me, okay, that's fine. Well, I used to kind of walk up and I'd whistle and I'd have conversations with myself as I walked up the stairs just to remind myself that I wasn't alone. The Lord is at hand. Christian, know this. The Holy Spirit abides in you. You are never alone. There's no amount of... A situation or circumstance in this world that, that could drive you towards anxiety that God is saying, nope, you're on your own. Sort that one out. I'll leave you to it and I'll see you. No, he's with you. Paul says the Lord is at hand. If we want joy, if we want peace, we need to know that. That we do not journey through this life alone. We have him by his spirit and he is at hand. And the third thing we see this if we want to really if we want to be people who are marked by joy and have this, this peace that surpasses human understanding, folks, we need to come to Jesus. We need to find ourselves in him. We need to receive from him as he is at, at, at our at hand and we need to come to him. And the way that Paul says we do that is through prayer. In this anxious world, Paul is saying pray. And I know all of us are thinking maybe, oh, that's just a Christian answer. Things go bad, we pray. That's just what we do. And maybe you're thinking, well, I've tried that and it's just not working for me. I still don't feel this peace that you're talking about. I just don't, I don't have the joy that, that Paul's talking about. Well, can I suggest maybe this is why? We hear the call to pray in the midst of uncertainty and fragility and, and the temptation towards being anxious. But maybe we don't hear everything that Paul says. He says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. See, that's the difference. With thanksgiving. He's saying this. We are prone to anxiety. Pray. Thanking God, not knowing what the result is going to be. Thank him. So where there is uncertainty in your lives, and I know there is a lot of it in this room. Where we're prone to worry about what could be, Paul is saying... Pray and thank God before you even know what he's going to give you. Just thank him. And we might be thinking, yeah, yeah but, but if he gives me this, it's not going to, it's not going to work out right. Or, but, I, but I really need this for it to work out. Or, or if he doesn't give, give me this, it's going to drive me towards more anxiety. Paul says, no. Let him, let him deal with it. Come to God and pray. 
thanking him, even before he's given you what he's going to give you. Because we need to know, when we pray, we're not praying to the air. We know that, right? Praying to God, he says, bring your requests to God. And God is a person. God is more powerful than anything else that we can ever experience. And what does he say in 1 Peter chapter 5? Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. More than anyone else in this world, he cares for you. So if you are prone to anxiety, the person that you need to ask of more than anything is him. If we want joy and peace, folks, we need to be found in Christ. We need to know that he is at hand and we need to come to him regularly. When we still feel that proclivity towards anxiety, we need to pull our heads out of the present and get the eternal perspective with Jesus in view. Remember we are citizens of heaven. Remember we have a resurrection coming. Remember that our names are written in the book of life. I love this, this story in the Gospels of the disciples get sent out by Jesus and they come back so excited. They're like, Jesus, we, we were casting out uh, demons in your name. And Jesus says, yeah, that is great, but, but get on this, guys. Your names are written in heaven. Like that is wonderful what you're doing. But what is infinitely better is that you have an eternal future that is secure. We need an eternal perspective that is focused on Jesus. In the midst of a fragile world and anxious situations. And finally in verse 8 and 9. Paul kind of gives a bit of a play on words. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So back in verse 7, if you look there, he talks about the peace of God and then he talks about the God of peace in verse 9. He's trying to show us that the peace isn't just what God does. It's who he is. Peace is who God is and it is what he does. And so we need to see if, if we need help. If we are struggling just with the, with the situations that we're in and the circumstances that we're in that, that look so uncertain and look so fragile. There's no amount of kind of horizontal looking and there's no amount of I can fix this, fix this or I can sort this out There's going to bring you peace. Paul is saying you need to look up and look beyond. Look to the God of peace. Look to him who is the source of all peace. There is a subtle danger here, folks, as Paul wraps things up. We could kind of think of God in these ways and see that he is a God of peace and all peace comes from him and we could just sit back and receive. And be totally passive. Wait for him to do the work. That's not what Paul has in mind at all. If the peace of God reigns in our heart, then that means God is reigning in our heart. And that will bring about a certain type of thinking and a certain type of behaviour, which will look like what we just saw in verse 8. It will look like pursuing truth. It will look like pursuing honour, pursuing justice, pursuing purity, pursuing love, doing what is commendable, doing what is excellent, doing what is worthy of praise. That is what it will look like with a heart that is set on the peace of God. That's what that life will look like. 
eternal perspective with Jesus in view will have us walk in joy and peace and it will bring about a certain type of living. But also look what Paul is doing. He's drawing us towards a certain type of behaviour. But when you hear what he just described, truth, honour, justice, purity, love, a commendable life, an excellent life, a life that is worthy of praise. Folks, to who and to where does that mind take you? Jesus. Paul is kind of doing a bit of a circular art, circular argument. He's saying, have an eternal perspective with Jesus in view. Be people of joy, be people of peace, and your life will look like this. And you'll see that in my life, he says as well. Imitate it where you see it. And as we see that, naturally our minds will be drawn more towards Jesus. And then we start the circle again. We kind of think more of Jesus. It helps us to walk in joy more. It helps us to have more peace. And then we see these, these behaviours coming out in our life. And it will have us think more about Jesus. Because he embodies these things perfect. He is the one of truth, honour, justice, purity, love. A commendable life, an excellent life. He is the one who is worthy of praise. We see that perfectly in his life. Folks, in the midst of an anxious world, in the midst of a fragile society, in the midst of things which just feel out of control to us, we need an eternal perspective with Jesus in view. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning to search our hearts. Bring us peace. Bring us joy. Bring us Jesus. We want to do that for, for your glory and for our good, Father. There are so many things around about us that just feel so uncertain, feel so fragile, feel like they are going to draw us towards anxiety. We don't want that. We want to be a people of peace. We want to be a people of joy. And so we know we have to be Jesus people. And so lift our eyes up. Give us a, a, a perspective of what is going on around us. Draw us towards the eternal truths. We are citizens of heaven. They are waiting for a bodily resurrection that our names are written in the book of heaven. Help us to be people who live in light of the reality that we are found in Jesus. He is near. And that we are able to draw towards him and come to him in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving because because he is good and he will only give us what is good. And Jesus, where there is stubbornness of heart this morning, pray that you would bring your peace, bring your joy and draw those who, who are refusing, who are walking away from you, draw them to see the beauty of who you are. Bring them to be people whose names are written in your book. Give them life and life eternal now. Please draw their focus away from earthly things, earthly remedies, and help them fix their eyes on you. As we continue to worship now, Father, and, and listen to these songs, this is hard for us. We want to just rip off our masks and sing together, and we know that we can't, and so Father, help us. By your spirit, help us to respond rightly now with joy in our hearts.
Remind us of the joy of our salvation. Remind us of who we are in your Son, Jesus. Remind us of all that we have access to. Remind us that our joy is not dependent on our circumstances. It's wholly dependent on you and what you have done and what you are doing. Jesus, we love you. Help us now by your spirit, we pray to respond rightly. It's in your name that we ask. Amen.